Welcome to the Verse by Verse podcast, a ministry of the Friendship Congregational Bible Church. I'm Richard Church, the teacher on Verse by Verse, and I'm glad you've joined with us today as we study together God's infallible word, verse by verse. Okay, let's turn in our Bibles to Mark chapter 16. Mark 16, verse 14, it says, Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Uh, remember, we saw last time how Christ said about those who had believed because they had seen, he said, blessed were those who had not seen and yet believed. And that, that prefigures the fact that most of the people in history that were going to come to believe on the resurrection of Christ were not going to be able to have that physical contact with Him like those disciples had, but were going to believe in a way that those disciples hadn't. See, those disciples weren't willing to believe, um, you know, based on, on other people's accounts, but that's, that's how we get the account of the resurrection, right? We don't, we don't get to be like Thomas and, put our, our finger into the nail prints. Uh, we believe based on these accounts in the Word of God, right? And, and so, you know, the Apostle Paul talks about the evidence for the resurrection of Christ over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's just turn over there. Paul gives a long list of the people that were these, the, you know, had these firsthand encounters with the Lord Jesus Christ after His resurrection. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel, which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures, and that He was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And, and so Paul lists these people who had these, these uh, encounters with Christ. You see, he mentions there 500 brethren at once who saw the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And he mentions that the greater part, most of those 500, he said, remain to this present. And so even as Paul is writing this some 25 years after the events of the uh, uh, resurrection of Christ, he says, of these 500 who all saw him at once, most of them are still alive. It's almost as if he's, he's inviting people to, you know, if you want to go and search out the truth of this, you can go and find those people that had those firsthand encounters, that, that uh, uh, physical encounter with Christ. And after listing all of them, the Apostle Paul lists himself as well. He says, and last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And he says, therefore, whether it were I or they, so we preach and so you believe. 
And so Paul says there, he says, last of all, he was seen of me also, and he says, as of one born out of due time. Now, Christ had warned the disciples. I mean, even before his death, he had warned them that he was going to go away. And then uh, we haven't gotten yet to his ascension, but he tells them about how he's going to go away. And you see, for instance, uh, Stephen, we, we saw when we were going through the book of Acts, uh, Stephen sees the Lord not, not on earth, but he is able to see the heavens open and he sees him there at the right hand of the Father in heaven. But you notice what Paul says about himself and his encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, last of all, he was seen of me also. Paul lists himself as the last one to see the, the risen Lord Jesus Christ in, in the way that these people he's listing here saw Christ. Now it tells you something, you know, there's people that will claim to have various visions of Christ and, and uh, that kind of thing. They'll say, you know, Christ came to them and appeared to them. Paul says he was last of all seen of him. And in fact, Christ is not going to be present here on the earth where, you know, where he's encountering, uh, someone or someone would encounter him in that way until his second coming. Now there is the catching away where we're caught up to be with him, but but you see how Paul lists himself. He says, last of all, he was seen of me also. And Paul says it was as of one born out of due time. Uh, the term that's used there means out of due time, not in the sense of being late for something, but it's out of due time being early for something. It means before the time. And you see, the Apostle Paul, as, as these accounts are going out about the resurrection, he's not with believing Israel, he's with apostate Israel, right? He's a part of that apostate nation. And you know, the Lord Jesus Christ talked about how the nation of Israel, there was going to come a point where the nation of Israel was going to look upon him whom they had pierced, and that they were going to mourn for him as one mourns for, a, for an only child. And uh, here, you know, he's not talking about this little flock of, of believers, these disciples that had been with him during, during his earthly ministry, but he's talking about a, a time where that apostate nation would encounter him in a way that they wouldn't be able to deny his resurrection, and they would look upon him whom they had pierced, the one they had put to death, and they would repent for that. And, th- and that's, again, a reference to the second coming of Christ. Okay, for apostate Israel, the, the due time for them to, to come to believe on him would be at that second coming. When Paul says he was born out of due time, God, through a gracious act, uh, you know, reaches out to Paul, this, this ringleader, really, of the apostasy of Israel, and saves him in a, really, in an unprophesied manner. Uh, when Christ ascends up into heaven, the next time where you have Christ going to be present on the earth, prophetically would be at his second coming. And yet there on that road to Damascus, you have this, this thing that happens out of due time where Christ, Christ comes and speaks there to Paul and then known as Saul of Tarsus. And he's saved and he believes on the risen Lord Christ. And he, he says that he was born out of due time. He says that he's the least of the apostles because he had persecuted the church of God. These other apostles that he mentioned previously, they hadn't persecuted the church of God. They had been believers on Christ even before his death, burial, and resurrection. But he had persecuted the church of God. And so he says he's the least of those apostles. But you see what he says. He says, by the grace of God, 
I am what I am. And, and he says that that grace wasn't in vain, but he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. And Paul becomes that last one to encounter the, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one who sees him last of all. And God works with Paul in a special way that his ministry as the apostle of the Gentiles goes out and, and abounds. It's more abundant. The grace of God working in him uh, works in him more abundantly. Or he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. But Paul, you know, just to make the point, he's not taking the credit. He says, not I, but the grace of God which was with me. And so, so, uh, keep in mind as we, you know, as we see these, this encounter with Christ after the resurrection, uh, you have him there with the disciples, but then you also have the risen Lord Jesus Christ, uh, appearing there to Paul. And Paul gives all of these people here, he lists these people who saw the, the risen Lord as proofs of the resurrection. Now understand that when somebody comes to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, just like those disciples who he had told them he was going to die and rise again, and then on the third day they start hearing these accounts from Mary and the women and later from from uh, the two there on the road to Emmaus, and they start hearing these accounts that he'd risen, and they didn't they didn't believe. Right? Nobody nobody comes to believe on the resurrection of Christ by coming here to this passage and saying, oh look, there were all these people that experienced Him alive. It must be true. right? That's not the way you come to believe on the resurrection of Christ. It's in the same way with them, it's through a personal encounter with Him. Now it's not that physical encounter, but it's a personal encounter with Him, um, You know, really through the, the Word of the Gospel and work of the Holy Spirit, that someone comes to, to know Christ and to believe on Him and, and believe on that resurrection. Now let's go back to the Gospel of Mark then. So, so Mark tells us again about those, those early, uh, some of those early encounters with Christ, the lack of belief on the part of the disciples until finally uh, he's, he's there with them. He appears to them and, and it says that he upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And then verse 15 says, and he said, Unto them. And if you have a red letter Bible, you see the, the words in red there that Christ speaks to them. Uh, he says to them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Now, this is Mark's account of what, what some would call the Great Commission. All right. Now, normally, uh, if, a, if a preacher is going to preach on the Great Commission or, or if somebody's going to quote something uh, about the Great Commission, they usually don't quote the account from Mark. They usually quote the account from Matthew. All right. Let's, let's look over at Matthew's account in Matthew 28. Um, so... So Matthew here records, and again, in this instance, like many others, the gospel writers, God, in inspiring them to write these accounts, uh, gives, gives different gospel writers different details to, to focus in on, right? And so there's some differences between the Matthew account and the Mark account. Mark records some details that Matthew doesn't. And in Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. 
Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Now that's the one that's often quoted. And, you know, it's, it's, there may be some dispute about whether these things are being said at exactly the same occasion. Uh, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter because all of them are still representing how Christ is commissioning these twelve to, to go out, or really eleven here at this point, because Judas isn't there with them anymore. Uh, he's commissioning these eleven to, to go out, and, and really not just the eleven. I mean, the eleven it mentions here specifically, but, but, uh, these other disciples as well. Uh, you see in Matthew, it adds in something that Mark doesn't record. He says, all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Well, Matthew's presenting Christ as the king, so, so God chooses Matthew to record a, a detail about the power that's given to him. Mark is presenting him as the servant, so Mark doesn't, doesn't include that detail, right? But but uh, both of them include the idea of going out, teaching all the nations or all the world. Uh, baptism is mentioned in both of those accounts, okay? And one of the reasons that the Matthew account is quoted more often than the Mark account is because of those things that we, re- we read later on there in Mark's account of that commission about taking up serpents, about drinking uh, deadly things, about casting out devils, you know, these kinds of things. Um, people don't really want to deal with what Mark says there. And since Matthew doesn't mention any of that, they'll quote the Matthew account. It's an easier one. It's an easier one to, to base your, you know, your church's mission program on or, or whatever. It's easier to base it on the Matthew account than the Mark account. Uh, in fact, those verses in the Gospel of Mark, um, many Many Bibles will at least have a note, and some some may leave out completely, uh, the whole last part of Mark chapter 16. Okay, uh, In fact, you may have a note in your Bible there, uh, somewhere down around verse 9, that the, the oldest manuscripts don't include from verse 9 down through the end of Mark chapter 16. All right. Now that's that's one way. Oftentimes, that uh, controversial passages can be dealt with in the Bible is to say, "Oh, it just doesn't belong there." Some scribe added it in later, and it doesn't belong there. We can just throw throw it out. You know, uh, the the problem with that is if you want to agree with those early manuscripts and say that verse nine to the end of the chapter wasn't really there originally in the Word of God. Think about what that does to the the Gospel of Mark. Think about where that ends. The Gospel of Mark. Uh, it, it means that uh, you would have there some of these things that we've studied down through the angels uh, speaking to the the women there in in those early verses. Uh, the angels tell the women in verse seven, "Go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, as he said unto you." You would still have verse eight. It says they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And then that's where some of those early manuscripts just leave off. They don't have the rest of it. Does that sound like where, uh, where the rest of the Gospels end up or where God would end, end these Gospels with these disciples really not yet believing on the resurrection and just being afraid? Um, you know, that, that doesn't sound like a, a very likely thing. And, you know, it's interesting when, when people talk about these different 
Bible manuscripts and, and things, and they talk about the differences between them, and, and they'll say, well, the differences between these Greek manuscripts don't affect any essential doctrine of, of Christian faith. Well, I think the resurrection of Christ is a pretty essential doctrine uh, to the Christian faith, and you see where that would leave the Gospel of Mark. Now, now, some would say, well, yeah, but you still have it in the other Gospels. Well, but you're still taking away verses uh, on those issues. Uh, let me tell you, those verses belong there in the end of the Gospel of Mark. Uh, there may be some early manuscripts that didn't include them, but those early manuscripts don't include a lot of verses. And there are quotes of some of these verses um, you know, that, that predate those manuscripts that leave them out. Okay? So the verses belong there. We can't just we can't just get off easy and say, oh, the verses don't belong in the Bible, so we don't have to deal with them. Go to Luke chapter 24. This would be Luke's account of that commission, right? So we we saw Matthew's account. Matthew Matthew says to uh, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Uh, Luke says in Luke 24, verse 46, Luke records it as uh, he and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are witnesses of these things, and behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Now here Luke has some details that the others didn't include. Uh, Luke, you have Luke, uh, or Luke has Christ telling them to wait at Jerusalem. They're going to be endued with power. That's uh, talking about the, the giving of the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. Uh, you see Luke adds in, they're going to, they're going to preach among all nations. Uh, Luke adds beginning at Jerusalem. Okay. Uh, now let's go to Acts. Acts is where you find a fourth account of this commission. In the beginning of the book of Acts, uh, you have the, the disciples gathered with Christ. They're asking him about some of the prophetic things that he talked about in his earthly ministry. Uh, if, you, if you start in verse 4 of Acts chapter 1, you see it says, "...and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost." Not many days hence. That's the same thing we just saw in Luke about waiting for to be endued from on high with power. Verse 6, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and under the uttermost part of the earth. Now the thing you see in all of those accounts is that they were to go to the uttermost part of the earth. They were to go to all nations. They were to go to the world. right? You see in Luke and in Acts um, that, that both of them kind of emphasize that there's an order to those things. right? It says, uh, again, there are Acts 1 verse 8 about the middle of the verse. It says, "...ye shall be witnesses unto me." You notice both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. This, this commission where Christ is sending them out is not really a new commission. It's a, it's a continuation and an advancement upon how, what he had commissioned them earlier. 
Okay, let's go to one more passage. And this will probably be the last passage we get to before we're out of time. I want you to go back to Matthew chapter 10. So, so we've compared each of those accounts of this commission before Christ's ascension. Uh, now we're going back to early in Christ's earthly ministry when He first chose those 12 disciples and commissions them to go out. Okay, And in Matthew chapter 10, you, you see uh, this is one of the passages that gives you the names of the 12 apostles in verses 2 and 3 and 4. And verse 5, it says, These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them. Uh, by the way, the, the term apostle, notice they're called apostles in this passage. They don't become apostles just after the resurrection of Christ. They were apostles here. An apostle is a sent one. All right, that's what the word means. In fact, the, the English word, uh, the translators didn't really translate the word. They just made up a new English word based on the Greek word. The Greek word apostello uh, is, is turned into the English word apostle, and it means a sent one. And so usually when you see uh, the word sent or sent forth in the Bible, that's the verb form of that word. So, so to send somebody forth, they become a sent one, an apostle. And here's where these disciples become apostles because Christ sends them out. Now at this time, notice what He tells them. And this, this you'll see is a difference between the commission after His resurrection and the commission He gives them here. Here He says in verse 5, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not. Now, when he commissions them here during his earthly ministry, they are to go to Israel exclusively. They are not to go into the way of the Gentiles. They are not to go into the, any city of the Samaritans. And even the Samaritans, which were, uh, you know, Jews who had intermarried with Gentiles, he says, don't go to them. But he says, go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You remember what Christ said when, when uh, the Gentile woman comes to him and, and is wanting her daughter to be healed, uh, he says, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Right? Christ's earthly ministry is focused on Israel to the exclusion of the Gentiles. Here he, he specifically excludes the Gentiles and the Samaritans. He says, don't go to them. Um, he tells them, he gives them some instructions about how to, how to preach. And verse 23, it says, but when they persecute you in this city... Flee ye into another, for verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Now that's an interesting statement there. So he tells them here, as he, as he originally commissions them, don't go to any Gentiles, go only to Israel, and what he says is, you won't have finished with all of the cities of Israel until the Son of Man be come. Now, Maybe you could take that verse and say he's just talking about, you know, coming back and, you know, being together with them at a later point in that earthly ministry. Maybe you could say that. But really, when you read on, you see he doesn't, he doesn't come to them. He sends them out and then they come back to him, right? Uh, when you see Christ talking about the Son of Man coming, uh, you know, here when he's teaching during his earthly ministry, those passages are about his second coming. Now, that, that might begin to indicate some things to you because here we are, the second coming hasn't come yet and these disciples are long gone. He told them, you know, they're, they're dead and gone and their, their uh, soul and spirit is in heaven in the presence of the Lord. 
Um, he tells them, you will not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man be come. Now, what that tells you is that when he originally commissions them, the idea is that the focus is, is Israel uh, until the second coming of Christ. And that with the second coming of Christ, that that's going to be the point where really the emphasis in this program goes out to the Gentiles. Okay? Um, let me just show you I just want to show you two, I want to to compare two passages of Scripture and then we'll expand more on this next time. So these two passages I'm going to leave you with are just to kind of, kind of spur some thought. But I want you to get Isaiah chapter 60, first of all. Isaiah chapter 60. And I want you to notice something here. All, again, all those commissions that we saw talked about going out to all of the world. You know, in the Old Testament, Israel was supposed to go out to all the world, right? Um, God's focus, God has never limited salvation to, you know, one nation or, or whatever. He did choose Israel as His chosen nation, but He chose them to be a witness to Him, of Him in the world. Okay? And I want you to notice Isaiah chapter 60. And here it's going to talk about the Gentiles. And I want you to notice the means by which salvation comes to the Gentiles in this passage. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 says, Arise, shine, for thy light is come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon thee. Now this passage is addressed to Zion, which is another name for Jerusalem. Okay, It says, The glory of the Lord is risen upon thee, for behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall arise upon thee, and His glory shall be seen upon thee. Now if you want to just think in your mind of, of the globe of the earth and the whole world in darkness, but this bright light shining upon Jerusalem. That's what it's picturing here. Okay? And remember how Christ said, he, he called himself the light of the world, and he said that, that as long as he was in the world, it was day, right? And he used that, that terminology of day and night. Christ is that light. When it talks about the glory of the Lord being, being seen upon them and, and the, that, that, uh, Glory being risen upon them. It's talking about the person of Christ. Okay? Notice verse 3, And the Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Lift up thine eyes round about and see. All they gather themselves together, they come to thee. Thy sons shall come from far, and thy daughters shall be nursed at thy side. Then thou shalt see and flow together, and thine heart shall fear and be enlarged, because the abundance of the sea shall be converted unto thee. The forces of the Gentiles shall come unto thee. And it talks about the gifts that these Gentiles are going to bring. Now, you see it says that Gentiles shall come to thy light, and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Okay? I want you to compare that with the book of Romans. Romans chapter 11. According to Isaiah, how were the Gentiles going to, going to come to God? It was going to be through Israel's rising. Right? Notice here in Romans chapter 11, verse 11, speaking of Israel, says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall salvation has come unto the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. And Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles. I magnify mine office if by any means I may provoke to emulation them which are my flesh and might save some of them. 
Now, you have, you have to understand the, the difference between those two verses is the difference between two programs in the Bible. You have a prophetic program through which God was using the nation of Israel and His plan was to bring all of the world to Him through blessing that nation and through the rise of that nation. That passage in Isaiah 60 is again talking about the second coming of Christ. And there are some things that God has yet to fulfill in that program. But when you get into Paul's epistles, there's a, a mystery program, some secret things that God didn't reveal back in Isaiah. And you see that in the book of Romans, it's not through Israel's rise that salvation comes to the Gentiles. It's through Israel's fall. Now again, we'll, we'll expand on that more next time. But when you read those commissions, and you see those commissions are part of that prophetic program. The mystery had not been revealed yet. They're part of that prophetic program, and that's why there's the emphasis on Israel first. Because if the Gentiles are going to come to the brightness of their rising, then they have to rise first. And they have to go to Jerusalem, and they have to go to Judea, and, and then to these, you know, these half-Jews in Samaria, and then finally out to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's where they have to go first. And then at that rising of Israel, those Gentiles uh, can, can be drawn to God and to His glory. But you see Paul's preaching a message under which Israel has fallen, been set aside, and it's not through their rise that salvation comes to the Gentiles, but through their fall. And that's, that's where we're at today. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.friendshipbiblechurch.com. Com. Thank you for joining us today, and our prayer is that this program would be a blessing to you in helping you to grow in your understanding of God's grace.